0: Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. We're extremely pleased to have with us today noted author and lecturer, Rabbi Evan Hoffman. Rabbi Hoffman serves as the rabbi of congregation Anshe Shalom in New Rochelle, New York. In addition to receiving ordination from Rabbi Isaac Elkanon Theological Seminary of Yeshiva University, Rabbi Hoffman had also earned a master's degree in Jewish history. On the Bernard Revel Graduate School. Hoffman has authored a fascinating two volume work on the Torah titled Partial Themes in Historical Perspective. It is a fascinating look at all different historical perspectives uh, with a commentary on the Torah. Um, I urge all our listeners and viewers, as I did, to simply go on to Amazon, click a button comes right to your house, uh, no matter where you live, even in Israel. And today we will be looking at an important aspect of American Jewish history, the origins and developments of major American Jewish institutions of higher education. Um, So just to get started, Rabbi Hoffman, thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Generally speaking, what was the landscape like of American Jewry in the late 19th and early 20th centuries?
1: Okay, so as it <laughs> pertained to the growth of uh, institutions of higher Jewish learning, America was a wasteland for a long time. You know, the Torah says, Loma Ever layam." It's not across the ocean. Well, it was. Uh, the first Jews came here in 1654. There was no real ordained rabbi until 1840 when Abraham Rice moved to Baltimore. Before that, it was just chazanim of the Sephardic and early German period. And uh, rabbis came to this country starting in the 1840s in a significant number. Um, And we'll get to a discussion of whether they were real rabbis or they were imposters. Um, But people of some learning were here mid-century, and then by the... 1880s, we begin to have the arrival in large numbers of the Eastern European immigration. So after the the assassination of Alexander II, that's when in 1881 the, the Great Wave begins and it lasts until World War I in 1914. So the German wave of 1820 to 1840 brought about a quarter million Jews to this country, and then three million Jews show up in the Great Wave. So in 1880, which is, let's say, a turning point, an inflection point, the community is mostly uh, German Jewish or Central European Jewish, with a sprinkling of the old Sephardic aristocracy that never fully went away, and a little bit of a, a nascent R- Russian Jewish community that will then expand and become the dominant force in the decades to follow.
0: Okay, so uh, picking one denomination to start off with—if that's the right word—I'm not sure the denomination is the right word. A good word. Hebrew Union College, uh, when was it
1: formed? So Hebrew Union College was the baby of Isaac Mayer Wise. Isaac Mayer Wise was the most important Jewish personality in America, as far as religion is concerned, uh, in the 19th century. Wise was born in 1819 and really was a malamed, a a teacher in an elementary school in, in Bohemia, when he came to America in 1846, claiming to be an ordained rabbi and then eventually claiming to have a doctorate from a European university, neither of which was true. But he was a man of great potential and great charisma. He came to New York uh, and had a brief career in New York, then went to Albany, got into some fisticuffs on the high holidays in Albany, switched schools. Then in 1854, went to Cincinnati uh, and decided to make a big career for himself in Cincinnati his first attempt at having a higher uh, institution of higher education was Zion college in 1855, a little known factoid of American Jewish history that's been forgotten, but he attempted to cobble together support for Zion college from the other major figures in American Jewish life, including Isaac uh, But it it failed for whatever reason. It it was only a handful of students. It was hardly more than a, a high school prep situation. Then, the uh, the next attempt was not done by him; was actually done by Isaac Leeser himself in Philadelphia, which was a traditional place. It was called Maimonides College, which you could argue was a, was a predecessor of JTS. That ex- that lasted from 1867 until about 1872, and then fizzled out. But Wise wasn't done. Wise decided he was going to establish all the major American Jewish organizations, and the first uh, of the three. That he would successfully found was the Union of American Hebrew Congregations in 1873, which did not begin as a union of Reform synagogues. It began as a union of supposedly all synagogues, and over time developed a specifically reformed character. And the Union of Congregations is what uh, allowed him the financial and and, uh, institutional wherewithal to establish Hebrew Union College in 1875, two years later, in Cincinnati. It began by necessity not as a place of high learning. It began as a place where kids 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old would be sent by their parents to spend what amounts to high school and collegiate years learning Judaism, not at a high level, but essentially at whatever level they could grasp. These were not kids who had a background steeped in, you know, Talmudic scholarship. And so the late 1870s, early 1880s was the first cycle of students. Their first graduation was famously in 1883, the notorious Trefa banquet, where non-kosher food was served at the graduation ceremony. But over time, he was able to build up a faculty and take it away from being essentially a low-level high school-slash-collegiate institution to being a place where college graduates who wanted real prep for the rabbinate could go to get something of a higher reform education.
0: What was um, the model that Hebrew Union College um, looked towards? I've heard it said that on a congregational level in this period of American history that Often the um, the leaders looked to, to England for a congregational model. Who did Hebrew Union College look for? Look towards in Europe as their model? So the the answer is not uh, the
1: Hochschule for the Wissenschaft des Judentum, the the Geiger Seminary of Berlin. The Geiger Seminary of Berlin was itself only founded in 1872, three years before HUC, and none of the participants in the early days of HUC had any involvement in Europe at that point. They were in America for a good 30 years by, by that time. Uh, over the decades, there developed a certain alignment between the various seminaries that were established in Germany and what was established in America, meaning... There's a rough correspondence between Cincinnati and Geiger's seminary, between the JTS of Breslau and the JTS of New York, and between Hildesheimer's uh, seminary in Berlin and what later amounts to Reitz. But just because there's some uh, denominational or ideological alignment, it doesn't mean one was learning its ways from the other. Chronologically, that just doesn't work itself out. Uh, Wise was essentially acting on his own initiative and cobbling
0: together whatever
1: he could Without
0: real precedent. Who, who did, who did uh, Hebrew uh, Union College attract in the beginning? Were they able to get faculty and students to come out to Cincinnati?
1: It was a challenge. Uh, in the earliest days, Wise's collaborator was a fellow by the name of Max Lilienthal. Lilienthal was a real rabbi and a real PhD from a German university who has a a footnote in in broader Jewish history for having been the the man tapped by the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas I, to run the crown schools in Russia in the 1840s until he realized that it had a conversionist agenda, and he hightailed it out of Europe and sort of embarrassingly had to make his way to New York, where he was briefly the, the chief rabbi of a few congregations in New York and then went to Cincinnati, and played second fiddle to Wise, despite the fact that Fall was far better of a scholar, uh, and they together were, you know, faculty members of the early seminary. He was able to get Moses Muleziner, who was a Talmudist, uh, in 1879, and over the years get faculty members of no great shakes. The 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 best potential that he had, interestingly, was Louis Ginsburg. Louis Ginsburg. Of J.T.S. fame, probably the best Talmudist of the first half of the 20th century, um, was ha- or hired or supposedly hired in 1899, a year before Wise died, to be a professor of, t- of rabbinics. And the, the hiring was uh, rescinded after Ginsburg already made his way to America from Europe because Wise found out that Ginsburg was a believer in documentary hypothesis. And although HUC was a reform institution, uh, Wise did not like doctrinal heresy. So here, a man who ate tray for breakfast fired Louis Ginsburg for believing in documentary hypothesis.
0: Fascinating. Just moving a little bit now. The origins of the Jewish Theological Seminary (JTS), I believe, it's eighteen late eighteen eighty six. So 1886.
1: the origins of JTS are in the fact that HUC failed to be a catch-all institution for American Jewry. That's what was intended, but because of uh, departures from halacha and departures from uh, traditional Jewish belief, the rightest elements within American Jewish life not necessarily Orthodox, by the way, this was a a union of the modern Orthodox, you could say, and the traditional, what we would call conservative, came together and realized we have to create an institution which is an alternative to Cincinnati, and it has to be in in an East Coast city, and it has to appeal to the younger generation of people off the boat who are good candidates for the American rabbinate because they have some kind of a background in Jewish learning, uh, whether, you know, in the Cheder, in the Talmud Torah, or even before they came when they were in Europe. So uh, the proximate causes were the non-kosher banquet of 1883 and um, a dialogue, or rather a, an ongoing debate between Alexander Kohut and Kaufman Kohler. Kohut was a traditional uh, moderate reformer in New York, and Kohler who was the son-in-law of David Einhorn, the radical reformer, was an exponent of pretty radical reform. And in the Jewish newspapers in 1885, they had an ongoing debate that resulted in the traditionalists getting together in January of 1886 in the vestry rooms of Spanish-Portuguese synagogue to establish the Jewish Theological Seminary Association of America. And the idea was to have a school in New York. It was first housed at the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue, that would train boys for the rabbinate. And it did so from 1886 until about 1901, when there was a shakeup, followed by a transition to the Schechter period. But in that early phase, uh, it was the traditional place to study for the rabbinate.
0: And you just alluded to it, the change in the early 1900s and what role did Solomon Schechter play in that change?
1: Good. So uh, in by 1901, all the major players in the early phase of JTS were essentially out of the picture. Bato uh, Moreas, who had been the dean of the school, had died in 1897. Uh, the chairman of the board had died in 1901. The money had dried up. The student population had largely dried up. Something needed to be done to revitalize the institution. Now, who revitalized it? Interestingly, it was not traditional observant Jews who thought that we need an alternative to, to HUC because our religion or our religious scruples insist upon it. Rather, it was wealthy German Reform Jews who were the major players behind this revitalization. I'm referring specifically to Jacob Schiff, to the Warburg family, to Louis Marshall, to the Sulzberger family, uh, to the Strauss family. These are the major names who would go on to establish the American Jewish Committee and all the other alphabet soup organizations of American Jewish life. These were the heavy hitters. And why did they do this? So, number one, it was felt that you need to have rabbis trained in America who could appeal to traditional Jews, because if you don't have such rabbis, then the stodgy, uh, wealthy German-American Jews feared that the Russian Jews off the boat would gravitate either towards radicalism and communism or hyper-orthodoxy. So either too much religion or insufficient religion. The the happy medium was, let's train them in in an Americanized traditional Judaism. Another factor was a desire to have an institution of higher learning in New York. It would be a, an embarrassment, a shanda, so to speak, if New York did not have such a place of learning. And thirdly, uh, there was a desire to have not just a, tra- a place for the training of rabbis, but a place for the Wissenschaft des Judentum, for the scientific study of Judaism on a high level, akin to what was happening in the various places I mentioned before in Europe.
0: And Solomon Schechter's role, how did, when did he come to America? and How did he get involved in the institution? So
1: Schechter came to America in 1895 on a speaking tour. At the time, he was a, he was a reader of rabbinics at Cambridge. Uh, Schechter was born in 1847 in Romania, was uh, studied in, in Vienna under Jelenic, and uh, never actually got a Ph.D., I don't think, um, but was a, a, a renowned scholar, famous for the, for the Cairo Geniza in 1897. And there had been talk in America among the tra- the moderate crowd, as early as the mid-1890s, to bring Schefter to America to have him head the seminary. But for whatever reason, it didn't work out until 1902, when Cyrus Adler, who was the key figure behind the reorganization of the seminary, Cyrus Adler was not the money man, Cyrus Adler was the intellectual-slash-organizational man, he um, would go on to become the president of the seminary after Schefter, was the president of the Dropsy College, was a, a major figure in organizational life. He saw Schechter as the solution to the problem, and he was able to convince him for the right price to come to America as a matter of pikuach nefesh, saving of souls. And American Judaism needs you, Mr. Schefter. And he came to a great fanfare and served for 13 years until his death in 1915. And in his time... JTS was known as Schechter's seminary. It was known as that derisively, derisively by the orthodox crowd and lovingly by the non-orthodox crowd.
0: And who were the original uh, leading scholars that um, came to to the Jewish Theological Seminary?
1: So Schechter was quite successful in in attracting a, a good faculty, a strong faculty. His most important hire was of course Louis Ginsburg who would spend 51 years at the seminary, 1902 to 1953, when he passed away. He was the major rabbinic figure in the world uh, before Saul Lieberman came on the scene in 1940. Uh, and so two generations of conservative rabbis were trained in Talmudics under Louis Ginsburg. He's the author of Legends of the Jews, uh, among many other works. The other important figure was Alexander Marx. Alexander Marx came as a very young man, 25 years old in 1903, to be a professor of history. Marx uh, was, a, was a devout Orthodox Jew. His father-in-law was Rabbi David Svi Hoffman, the, uh, the great post of German uh, modern orthodoxy. No relation to me, although I wish there was, because he's one of my heroes. Um, and Marx was, for 50 years, also passed away in 1953, a professor of history and the librarian. His great contribution was he built the JTS Library, the greatest Judaica library in the world in its time. Uh, Also was Israel Friedlander, professor of Bible, who was uh, tragically killed in 1920 during the Russian Civil War by uh, Ukrainian anti-Semites. And he was a very popular figure because he, he appealed to the young students. He himself was a fairly young man and was interested in transforming American Judaism and making the modern traditional Judaism in America. Also was Israel Davidson, a professor of, of uh, medieval literature, uh, literature and importantly, Rabbi Moses Hyamsen, who was the rabbi of Orachaim on 95th street, a basic New York Orthodox rabbi was the professor of halacha of codes at JTS. And he was a dayan; He was a rabbinical court judge. So it gave uh, sort of bona fides to the halakhic learning of the students of that time because Hayamson was their Rebbe in, in halakha.
0: As the flagship institution of the conservative movement, what was the relationship, I'm sure it evolved and changed, of the JTS and the conservative movement and the synagogues? So there's a whole book on the subject
1: of Louis Finkelstein and the conservative movement. Uh, Finkelstein was the chancellor after after Adler between 1940 and 1972, but he had already come to the seminary in 1915 as a student and was a professor all throughout. Uh, died in 1991, so he spent 76 years associated with the seminary. Um, the The seminary did not begin as a denominationally uh, um, identifiable organization. The old seminary, pre 1902. Produced rabbis who went on to have illustrious Orthodox careers. Most famously, Joseph Herman Hertz, the chief rabbi of England, was the first graduate of the old JTS, and I could name others who were not as famous. The, probably the most famous in America was Mordechai Kaplan graduate of 1902, an illustrious Orthodox rabbi, until he wasn't an Orthodox rabbi. Um, the Maverick that, rabbi? The Maverick, Maverick rabbi. rabbi, yeah. And yes. Herbert,
0: Goldstein. Herbert Goldstein. And Herbert Goldstein. So Herbert Maver-
1: Goldstein was 1913 of the Schechter years. So there were many, many important rabbis who graduated pre-1902 and Schechter era, pre-1915, who went on to have Orthodox careers. But what happened was, in 1913, Schechter and Cyrus Adler, with, with Ginsburg's cooperation, established the United Synagogue of America. The United Synagogue of America was an organization designed to put together in a synagogal union those houses of worship which were um, under the leadership of JTS alumni. It was a good idea, it was a bulwark against the Union of American Hebrew Congregations. Um, And it wasn't supposed to be uh, pigeonholed as this or that type of Judaism. It was a catch-all for traditional Jews. But over time, that ceased to be the case. It became the Conservative Synagogue Union and eventually became the Union uh, 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 of um, United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism, not United Synagogue of America. In 1918, the Rabbinical Assembly was established as the alumni group of the seminary, And at first was just an alumni group of the seminary, regardless of where you were on the spectrum of ideology, you could be a member of that that group. But over time, the RA, the rabbinical assembly, became the rabbinical union of conservative Judaism. So all three uh, institutions, the school, the synagogue union, and the rabbinical union, begin as amorphous, but becomes denominationally specific. The seminary in particular tried to avoid, as best it could, being labeled as a conservative institution for the longest time. All throughout the Adler years, all throughout the Finkelstein years, there was a certain hands-off approach and creating some kind of space between the fountainhead, the intellectual fountainhead, and the, the core of the denomination. Much to the chagrin of those who wanted to see specifically conservative Judaism... Uh, flourish. The seminary wanted to see the seminary flourish.